time. So this month is Inside Out. We're going to talk about evangelism today. Today, I hope to stay on track, and the theme is intentional living. So if you will stand up, stand up. All right, you guys already have less energy than first service, and that never happens, all right? All right, and I know like some of you may be here and you hear people say amen and cheer, or maybe even in worship, you were like, they're getting super excited about this song. Okay, so the personality of our church is a little more demonstrative than other churches, right? Right, New Hope? Like when we, well, yes, see? So like whenever we hear something that resonates in us, and we're like, we tend to be a little bit more like, yes, you know? because we're super excited like that. And so um, anyway, we're going to go ahead and open up in prayer and we will get started. Lord, I thank you, God, that you are here with us. I thank you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. God, you are a miracle worker. You love your people. God, you speak to your people. God, you convict us of sins. Lord, um, not because you're just want to convict us of sin, but Lord, because you want us to be free and to be close to you. So I ask today that you would do that. I ask today that you would speak to us, and I ask today, God, that you would inspire us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so go ahead and sit down. I won't have you stand forever. You were wondering, oh my gosh, is she going to do that? Okay, so we have our, a picture that we showed last week. Miss Tiffany, if you would show that picture. Okay, this is a picture that Pastor Bowen really, uh, he was in prayer and felt like the Lord gave him this picture. And there was a picture that hung, I think it was over here, for a long time. It was a picture of our church. That's our church. And there's light coming out of the top of the church. And it became something that we, we looked at and talked about all the time. We felt like... We had been so focused on doing our thing and having our programs here at church and, and making sure we were taking care of everything within the house. God really convicted us and was like, we are supposed to be light. The Bible talks about that, even, even talks about God as the father of light. And so that light right there, it was never, it's not that God just came down and, and flooded the church and the God's power's just flying out of it. That light is you and me in our city. That is us being the church. In fact, um, there, when Jesus, Jesus would preach to multitudes, right? And he was on the Mount of, Be he was on the mountain at Galilee and he was pe preaching a sermon called the Mount or Beatitudes. And he was talking to the people about like, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, blessed are the persecuted, blessed, blessed, blessed. And he, he's going on and making this list. But then right after that, Jesus says to his followers, he says, you are the light of the world. Okay, and then he says, you're, you're the salt of the earth, right? You're the salt. And so in this picture, when we see the light, we're really just, this is a picture of us doing what we were created to do, okay? And so this, this month, while we talk about inside out, this is the picture. If you have a phone and want to screenshot it, I would suggest do that because this is something that we need to keep in front of ourselves because our tendency is to be preoccupied with ourselves and our life and what we have to do when Jesus talks about us being the light. And you know, when Jesus was teaching his followers and he was saying, you're the light, it would have made sense because 
because in those ancient days, you know, Rome, that was back when Rome had the Colosseums and all, Rome was known to be, you know, its theme was like glory, right? And then you had the Greeks who were all about knowledge and philosophy. You know, you've heard of the Greek philosophers. Well, for the Jewish people, they were actually associated with light because in God, there is no darkness, right? They were children of the light. They were supposed to be the light of the world. And so there was this association with light. Also, Jesus says to them, you're the salt of the earth. You know, and a lot of people have preached that or talked about that in that, and I love salt. I don't know how many of you add salt. I'm ridiculous with salt. I love salt, right? And so, um, a lot of people associate that with like enhancing flavor of the earth and, and that is maybe a part of it. But when Jesus would have talked about us being the salt of the earth, that would have been a little bit more like for people in that day, it would have been because they didn't have refrigerators and whatnot, they would have preserved food with salt, right? In fact, if they, you know, we know that fishing, fishermen, a lot of the disciples were fishermen, and so that was a trade then. A lot of people would take the fish, and to keep the fish from decaying, they would put salt on it. When Jesus spoke to the disciples and to his followers about being salt, what he was essentially saying is, you guys are supposed to be the salt that keeps this world from decay, that would have been the, the followers of Jesus would have understood that because we know that our culture in this world is dying. And it is, it is literally in decay. It is. And as the church, we're supposed to be the salt. We're supposed to be the, the ones to preserve culture. And what has happened is, is the church has decided, you know what, we really want the world to behave the way we feel like the world should behave. And we have turned into trying to figure out ways to lecture the world and cause the world to, to behave when really we're not doing our part and being the salt. If we're the salt, then it affects our world. And that's a little bit of what we're going to talk about today, is we're going to talk about the salt and we're going to talk about the light. So our text verse for this month is Philippians 2, 3 through 4. If you want to read it with me, you can. I'll read it slow. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. So there are two things that popped out to me. There are so many things that you can focus on in a scripture, but the two things I thought of was do nothing out of selfish ambition. I wake up with selfish ambition. Like, what's for breakfast? I've got to go pursue breakfast. You know, like, everything about me is about this flesh and what it's wanting and needing in that moment. You know, I don't naturally wake up and think, oh my goodness, what am I going to do today, you know, to not meet all my needs, to think of other people. Because in the natural, I want to do everything I can that's selfishly ambitious, right? And then also it says, rather in humility. That speaks to me of a posture. How are we going to live in this world and be the salt and the light of, of the world, of the earth? How are we going to do that? We have to be postured. We have to look like humility, right? Yeah. So Reagan last week talked about margin. 
Okay, And he talked about the fact that we have got to figure out the gospel when it comes to living for others. It is not going to come naturally, so we are going to have to be super intentional. So I did love that scripture in Ephesians 5, 15, I think through 17. It says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. You know, we have got to slow down. Like Reagan said, everything in our culture is trying to get us to, to, to upgrade, you know, to do more. We have more products that are, that are supposed to save us time, but we're still, the, where's the time that we're saving? It's thrown into something else. We're just going, going, going. And so that scripture says, be very careful. What it's saying is be very, very intentional, Now, some of you, by nature, are very cautious and intentional. I am not one of those people. I'm actually like a dreamer and a schemer, especially in the house. I, Reagan used to be a builder, and he can do construction. He was raised in construction. And so in my mind, I have at my disposal, what is the guy, Gaines, what's his name? Y'all know him, Joanna Gaines. It's like that couple that does the remodel. Chip, he's my chip, but better because he's my Reagan. Okay, so he, he can do all the things, like seriously, so good at things. And so in my head, we're, we're doing our thing, and I love change so much. Like, it's like, and it's a joke, you know, like you come to my house and everything's different. It may not be because I just am spending all this money because I, I don't, but I, I will literally take a room, and I'll take all the parts and just mix them up every so often, just get a new look. Like, I love it. And um, so there are times where I have this to-do list that I'll have for Reagan, and I'll even, like, come to him, and I have an idea, and he's like, oh, okay, like, you know, what are you wanting to do? And I'm like, you don't have, like, you don't have to do it. I can totally do it. Like, I'll do it. And he's like, uh, what are you What are you wanting to do? And he asked silly questions, you know, like, how much is this going to cost? <laughs> is this really necessary? And I think to myself, if it wasn't necessary, would it be on our list? Um, the, the big one is, how many holes are you wanting to put in the wall? Because evidently that's the thing, you know. And so um, oftentimes I'll go, no, you don't, you do not have to do it. I will do it. And he often is like, no, it's okay, honey. Why don't you just visit with me and watch me and I'll do it. And then he'll sometimes offer me like just a little job to do that like nobody could mess up. You would think. Anyway, um, but I'm not careful. I actually, when it comes to things, I can get really impatient, and, and I like a short project, something I can throw together and do, you know, and so, and he's very methodical, but you know, a lot of us even approach our walk with the Lord kind of the same way, especially when it comes to sharing um, with other people the love of Jesus, because it doesn't come naturally because we're always kind of in that grind of trying to fulfill like what it is that we're wanting to do all the time. We haven't been incredibly intentional when it comes to living a life that considers others and values them more than us. It takes a lot of intention to actually look at, at the world around you, to look at your coworkers, to be at home after a long day, and to think to yourself, how can I be a blessing in this moment? 
how can I, how can I give in moments where it, it, really we're tired? And if I'm not physically tired, I have a brain that has probably you know, a million tabs that are open if it were a computer all day long, all the time. So mentally, I can get so tired. And I am someone who naturally, I like a lot, I need a lot of alone time. Actually, a lot of days I'll think to myself, how am I going to order my day? And I have to think, I think of my energy. Like how much energy do I have, do I have for this and, and that. And so for me, what I want to do is get alone so I can, you know, like refresh my mind, whatever. And so sometimes there are opportunities that actually come at me, but I am so concentrated on getting the, what I need to do the things that I think that I need to do. Does anybody else do that? Whether it's alone time or maybe you're like, I need to be around people. There are people who are like that. And so maybe it's like that for you. But naturally, it does not come easy for us to want to share and to be selfless. Okay, and so there's some questions that that I have gotten throughout the years that I thought, well, maybe we can just look at together. And it's this thing is everybody who's a follower of Jesus is every believer responsible to share God's love. And I would say to you, yes, it is. Because Jesus tells his disciples clearly to go and to make disciples. Okay, so let's look at Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Got that up there? It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. I'm going to pause right here. Sometimes it's just so important to be where we're supposed to be. <laughs> you know? Like sometimes we focus so much on being so perfect for God and, and having all the gifts we think we need to get. And so much of it is like just trusting the Lord enough to be where it is you're supposed to be, where he tells you to go, you know, to be even in fellowship, to even be in church. It says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus said to them, or then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Listen, Jesus, when he spoke here, was being super intentional. Okay, first of all, one of the things that stands out to me is that he says to go because he knows that my nature is to stay. <laughs> I need to stay. Do you have teenagers in your house? Have you ever noticed, if you don't, you might, or if you, you may have at some point, but one thing you may have noticed, and I find this to kind of be across the board with all of mine, and maybe it's just in our house, but... Um, I will often say, hey, can you, or I need you to, dot, 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 go get the trash. Like, we need to put it out by the road, okay? Well, oftentimes, my children will go, okay. Has anybody ever had that happen? And then you know it's not going to happen. That trash is going to sit there, and it's so full that you're going to be in trouble, you know, if he, they don't get up and take it, or you're going to have to do it. And so... I will often say, Noah, hey, stand up. Go now, go, because I know 
what's going to happen? My kids have good hearts. They're not, yeah, well, maybe they are thinking she'll forget about it. I mean, I've done that. But, but I think it, what happens is, is they think, oh, I'm going to get to it. But then they get caught up like we do in life with whatever's going on their plate. And then they forget about it. And so Jesus is very intentional here because he's like, go. And then he says, make disciples. And so when I think of making disciples, I think, why would Jesus even have to say make disciples? Because he's already talked about that a bit. But part of the going and the making is because I think as Christians, we have the tendency to want to gather rather than make disciples. It's so much easier for me to say, you know, come to the church and let's do things with our church people because, you know, to a degree, it's predictable. You know, I know who you guys are. You know who I am. There's a level of unity. You know, there's, it, it's like I understand. But when you go out, you don't always know what the forecast is going to be. You know, you don't always know, like, what you're getting yourself into. And so Jesus here is like, now I want you to not only go, I need you to make disciples, not just have Bible study. I heard Francis Chigan said one time, he said, you know, if I tell my daughter I want you to, to clean your room, and she invites friends over, and they sit in their room and come out a couple hours later, and I'm like, did you clean your room? And she was like, no, but me and my friends talked about what it would be like if I were to clean my room, you know? But we do that a lot. So Jesus is like, go, and he says, to make disciples. And then he says, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And why did he even have to say that? Because I think he knows there is a tendency for one of two, maybe there are dozens of things, but the two things that come to my mind is why would Jesus say in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Because I think for me, my tendency is like, who am I? Why do people even want to like, hear what I have to say? You know, what equity do I have with a stranger to be able to speak into their life, you know? I'm not super eloquent. I'm quite awkward. You know, what is it that, that I am going to have to give? Another thing that I think part of the reason maybe Jesus did that was that because there is a propensity for some personalities to get puffed up and to think because they are gifted in that or they're gifted with people, it's easy to think. In fact, you see it in the New Testament. Paul has to write letters to churches all the time because people are saying they're calling themselves, they're identifying with the teachers they're with. And they're identifying themselves more with the person who's discipling them than they actually are the person they're supposed to be worshiping. And so, so it's so important for us to keep and to be intentional that it is nothing that you and I are going to do on our own, but that it's going to be in and through and for and in the name of Jesus. Also, I love that at the end of that, that he says he is going to go, he's going to go with us. He's going to be there always, even to the end of the world. How awesome is that? Because Jesus also knows it's very difficult, it's very hard for us sometimes because we do feel all alone. 
And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to go with you, and I'm going to be with you always. There's never going to be a time. In fact, I would say that for you. In fact, I'm going to say that beyond even evangelism. We're talking about evangelism. But, church, we need to understand that we have a Savior who was not just there and met us in the moment where we received him as our Savior, but that we have a Savior who is saying, I will never leave you. There's a scripture in the Word that says, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. Though your earthly father may have abandoned you, I will never abandon you. So we have a God who not only has given us instruction, but he is also our biggest cheerleader. In fact, he is, he's really doing the, the heavy lifting. I think of like, you know, have you ever seen um, a kid bench press, you know, weights and they're just really struggling and some strong person comes up and they're just kind of doing it for them, you know? That's kind of how the Lord is with us because I think like for us, sometimes we can think, oh, I just got to do it. I've got ba- to, I want to share God's love and, oh, and you're just, you know, trying to figure it out. And, and what God, God is saying is like, just, can you just posture, like, just get on the bench, like, you know, just do the things you're supposed to do with, and I'm going to actually do the heavy lifting. And that's what it's supposed to be for us, because, you know, there's a, there's an illustration Jesus uses um, in John that talks about he, the, he is, in fact, I'm going to, I'm going to read it so I don't butcher it. Um, where is it at? Well, anyway, apart from him, we can do nothing. Yeah, he's the vine, right? And so apart from him, we actually cannot do anything. And so when he's giving us instruction, he's not expecting us to knock it out of the park because we're so awesome, is he? No, he is expecting us to let him do the work that he's going to do. And so the next thing is, what did Jesus, what does he promise? He did promise, he says, I'm going to go with you always. But he also gives another promise, and I actually want to call it, it's a, a prophecy that Jesus gives us. So in Acts 1, 8... We'll see the scripture. It says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Okay, so Jesus is saying, and I want to paint this picture because I don't know if you guys even, like some of you know this, some of you may not know, but we know that Jesus, the the big picture is Jesus died for us. He died for our sins. But there in the Jewish culture was a a time of the year called Passover. And it was a time where Jewish people, because Adam and Eve had sinned, um, and Jesus, God was like, I have to make a way for people. He set it up to where the Jewish people, if they would sacrifice a spotless lamb, a perfect lamb that they could come and they would do that and they would have their sins atoned for. Well then, have you ever heard the the phrase that Jesus is the lamb of God? So when Jesus came, he was in essence the lamb of God and he came at the time of the year at the festival, um, at the dinner, the, the Passover. Some of you may be familiar with that. And Jesus came and he died at that time and he fulfilled scripture that said that, that on the third day he was going to rise again. And so three days after, after he died, he rose again. And then for 40 days, he kind of hung out with his disciples, his discouraged, weary disciples, many of whom had left him, many of whom felt like losers because they left him and they watched him die on a cross and they felt like failures. 
and they were super discouraged. So Jesus, he rose from the dead, and then he goes to them, and, and he, he loves on them, and he's speaking words of life to them, and he knows he's going to go back to heaven. He's going to ascend to heaven. And so he's squeezing in all the information, all the things they need, really need to know. He's squeezing it in. He's telling them, this is what you're going to need to know. And the disciples are trying to listen, but they also have a lot of questions of their own. In fact, in that verse where it says you will receive power right before that, in that chapter, Jesus is saying to them, he said, now look, you know, before I go, I need you to know this. So you remember my cousin, John the Baptist. John the Baptist, you, re- you remember him out at the lake. He's baptizing people. And so what, what's going to happen is, is that when I go, you're going to begin to baptize people. You're going to be baptized, but you're going to baptize people, and it's going to be like by fire. Like it's going to be the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's going to give you power. And the disciples, I would think if somebody said, I was going to be baptized by fire, or that I was going to be baptized by fire, I'd have some questions like, will I be consumed? Will it hurt? All the things that fire would mean, you know? And the disciples, because hum- humans are just short sighted, the disciples were like, uh, okay, and then they just gathered around him. They're like, okay, so like really when is the kingdom of God going to be established? Which if you have read the Bible, you know they were constantly wanting to know because they were there for the glory. I mean, they, they loved Jesus and they loved that he healed people, but they didn't always understand what was going on and what the purpose was. And so they're like, Jesus says, you're going to baptize and give you this power. And, and they're like, so good. Um, when is, when is the kingdom going to come down? Like They wanted to rule and reign with Jesus. What they wanted was everything to be fixed politically and the, the spiritual systems of that day. They wanted it to be righted. They wanted to see in the natural um, solutions of all the things that were on their heart, all the injustice, all the things. That's what they wanted, and that's not bad. But Jesus had something deeper for them. He says, he says, okay, listen, so patient. He is, you know what? Like, it's not for you to know that stuff. Those are, those are not for you to know. The Father knows that. Back to this, and this is when, when we see Acts 1.8, but you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. And right here, it is very prophetic. And so we're going to break it down. This is like a checklist because for the Jewish people, Um, They would have understood Jesus was prophesying, and he was telling them some short-term stuff and some long-term stuff in here. And so when when he says you're going to receive power very quickly, because he ascended to heaven, he had told them, "Go go wait in the upper room. They waited. And so the Holy Spirit came. It said like tongues of fire, which is wild, right? And ascended, and they were so filled, and it changed them. So many of us are wanting to grit our teeth and be better when what we need so desperately is to be filled with this Holy Spirit because there is a fruit that comes with that, you know? And one of the most powerful things is that it says you're going to receive, not you're going to fill it. It's going to get you all emotional. There is our part of receiving the Holy Spirit, this gift that God has for us. And so when the Holy Spirit came, they were in the upper room. And what happens when we are filled with the Holy Spirit 
is our nature is changed. Some of you remember Peter. Peter denied Jesus. He was one of Jesus' best friends. He was a follower. But when Jesus, it came time for him to be crucified, Peter denied him three times. Three times. And so Peter was so depressed. He was so sad. The minute the Holy Spirit came on him, his very nature was changed. Power to be witnesses. What happened for Peter is he went from being kind of a flake, you know, to being Peter who would now, these, these 11 disciples would be filled with the power and they could no longer just congregate and gather, but now they had to go. Their feet took them out of the sanctuary. And what happens sometimes for us as a church is that we're so consumed with gathering and feeling good and having a great music and having a great program and what we don't understand is that God is only gathering us to fill us to go and if we are not going something is wrong right and so these disciples now they get they're in the upper room they're filled with the Holy Spirit their feet take them out of that building and you know what Jesus was so right on because they're in Jerusalem it starts in Jerusalem because that's where they were when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, what is going to happen is where you are should be affected. So at your house, your home should be affected with the light and the salt. When you are at work, your workplace should be affected because you love Jesus. Because now you look like love. Because maybe you were harsh, but now you're gentle. Maybe you gossiped and spoke rudely about your, your leaders, or maybe you, you didn't like your boss and you were disrespectful, but now you have a guard on your mouth because you have the fruit of self-control. And so what happens now is now you look different, now you act different, and now everyone around you sees a difference. And now people are like, man, his whole nature's changed. In fact, where they actually never seemed to have hope and they were just kind of jerks, because by nature we kind of are, because we're so selfish. Even if we're nice, somebody doesn't see it, but somebody does, Right? And so when the Holy Spirit comes and we receive what God is doing, it changes us. It changes our home. It changes us at work. It changes where when we gather in this house. It changes how you serve. It changes how you do church. You can be a tender of church or you can be the church. And not everybody who attends is the church but everybody who comes in mission, who will be filled and who will share the gospel is the church. That's the church that Jesus Christ is talking about. And so when he says you're going to receive power and you're going to be my witnesses, check, check. Both those things happen because when Jesus speaks, his word is true. And it happens. Then it says that you'll be my witnesses in Judea because it was 50 days after Passover you know, Jesus was raised from the dead after three days. He was around for 40 days. He told them, in a few days, you're going to receive the Holy Spirit. Okay? So they're now at a place in time where Jewish people are celebrating Pentecost. That's 50 days after Passover. And this was a, 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 a 
festival where people from all over the region, Jews who spoke different languages, from Judea, from all these places, they would come and they would celebrate in these festivals, but then they go back home. Check! You will be my witnesses in Judea. So now they've shared. Now the people, 3,000 people were saved when they were filled with the Holy Spirit. 3,000 people. And so what happened was, now those people are going. And the disciples are starting to disperse too. So now, that's true. When Jesus speaks, it's true. You will be my witnesses in Samaria. This is never, this should be so incredibly powerful to us as a church in this day and age. Because in essence, when Jesus says, you're going to be my witnesses in Samaria, do you realize the racism in Samaria towards the Jews and the Jews to the Samaritans? If you read the Bible, you will see there's constantly this tension. What that says to me is when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, we have a supernatural love and an ability to love people that we might have had prejudices against. And what Jesus is saying, now you're going to be my witnesses. Now they're going to be your brothers and sisters. And it happened, church. Because when Jesus speak his word, his speaks, his word is true. How awesome, awesome is that? And then the end of it is you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And that is going on now. And we are the ends of the earth. And we still have a job to do because there's more earth to, to move in, right? There are people who do not know God and they don't love God and they're not free. And the enemy is lying and the enemy is in their head and he's in their families. And he is, he is taking weaknesses that people have and the weaknesses are running rampant. And it's hurting children, and it's hurting fathers and mothers, and it's, it's hurting race against race. If there's any time in the history of the world, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, it is not about your gifting. You may say, I am not gifted. Isn't that a job for other people? Like, isn't there something in the Bible about there's the evangelist and the teacher and the preacher? Sure. But the command is for every believer. So what does that mean for us? That means that the gift of God that he has given us, that we should have the heart of the Lord, and we should be so consumed. Listen, I am one of the most awkward people you will know. Like, so awkward. It's kind of a joke. Like, I literally, well, do y'all remember Coffee Connection we used to have here at New Hope, like, years ago? We used to have this thing called Coffee Connection, and you could go around and meet people. And, of course, we're a military town. And there was a Sunday in particular where I saw a military couple, and they looked young. And I just felt like the Lord was like, you need to go over and talk to this this couple and introduce yourself and I got in my head about it and then it got weird with me and then I'm like I'm gonna explode because I know I need to do this and so I just walk up to these people and I just say to them my name is Joy will you be my friend not gifted <laughs> not talented not one of those smooth talkers and they became friends of ours and we actually laughed about it god is not requiring that we be smooth guys or we be eloquent or we be good or any of that stuff what he is wanting is for us to love him so much that we don't want anyone left out of his love 
God wants a people who have his heart, who will love like him, who will deny themselves. Because here's the thing, it is not about us. We live in a world that's constantly, you got to take care of yourself, pamper yourself. It's a good day for you, like, you know, whatever, whatever. And I'm not saying some of that's not good in, in doses. But we live in a society that does nothing but tell us how to fulfill everything that we want and need. And what it says to us is if you don't, nobody is. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Because you know what? As a believer, I've tasted and seen in my life that when it's not my responsibility to go into Augusta, Georgia, and when everybody in Augusta, Georgia for the Lord, it's not my job to do that. But I have a capacity, I have a cup, and it is my responsibility to empty it into people and to love people and to give and not look out for myself. That is my responsibility. But the cool thing is, is that we serve a God who tells us to do it, but he knows that we'll never empty our cup because he's constantly like filling it back up. I can, I'm always taken care of. There's never a time where I am giving in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, there's never a time that I am giving where I've had lack. It's almost like the joy of the Lord and the capacity to do increases. And so what it looks like for all of us and what it should look like is in our world, God wants to use you. Everybody say, God wants to use me. That's the truth. You were born for more than looking out for yourself. You were born for more than your job. You were born for more than to get married, to have kids, to do all the things that seem like that are you got to check it off your list. You were born for more than that. When you were in your mother's womb, God had a dream and a purpose for each and every one of you. And in the practical, you may go to work, but you're going to work carrying the spirit of God inside of you and the love of God. And so you have a mission. You have a supernatural mission. And it is to love people. And so we're providing opportunities. Operation Christmas Child, we're, we're saying come and partner with us in Trunk or Treat. Because in our way, that is a way to give you a way to express and to be the person that God has called you to be. Like nobody can stand at a table at, at the Trick or Treat. Nobody can stand there and be you but you. And there's someone who will come through that will need who God has made you to be. Somebody has a story that can, be, that can be spoken into because God's done something in your life. Y'all, I, in the natural, am really not very spectacular. I'm not. I'm not gifted. Like I said, I can be very awkward. I get in my head. I need alone time. But I trust the Lord that when he says, you don't have to have enticing words of man's wisdom. You don't have to have it all together. If you'll just step out and do something, then I'll meet you there and well, I'll show you what to do. And I'll give you favor. And some of you, the prayer doesn't need to be clean me up and make me great so that I can go and do things for you, Lord. I was, a, I was so afraid of everything. I was bound in fear. I was lonely. I was a kid who was so lonely. I was a young mother who would get up and check the door several times a night 
because I just could imagine things in my head. I had fear that would seem so stupid to every one of you. And the Lord has freed me from it. And I have, I have been able to use that at Panera. I've been able to use that in instances where I'm having conversations and people are like, yeah, I just get so nervous. And I'm like, I did too. I still struggle with that some. But you know what the Lord's done? He's increased my joy. He's freed me. It feels so good. That is what we are called to do. Just share what God has done for you. Just take your cup and empty it out because what's going to happen is the Lord is going to increase your, the contents of your cup. You will never lack. The enemy says, if you do this, if you do this, this is going to happen. But let me tell you, anything that does not show you that God is going to be more than enough is not true. We are always looking at the external things. Lord, help me this job. Like, Lord give me another job. God, you know, fix this man I'm married to. God, you know, all the things, like, you've got to meet these needs, meet these needs. These are urgent. And God is always like, I'm going to do something really deep in you. I'm going to transform you. I'm going to give you eyes to see things you've never seen before. I'm going to give you ears to hear me, even in the middle of the chaos. I'm going to give you a heart to understand, and then the world can't touch you. Because the, the, the joy that I have, it's not contingent on everything being in place. The world can offer happiness, like this is happy, this makes me feel good in the moment. But the Lord offers joy even in the middle of tragedy. His works are deep. He offers peace when the world is chaotic. We are looking at the external, and we have a God who is wanting to do a deeper work. So if you will stand. Lord, I thank you so much, God, that you are for real. God, that what you say is true and that you love us. And, Lord, that we don't have to have it all together and we don't have to be cool to have influence. But, Lord, we, we can use our mouth to glorify you. We can tell our story. Lord, help us to be where you've told us to be and to be faithful. We love you, Lord. Lord, for everybody in this house who the next step is to share their faith, I pray they would do it. For everybody in this house who's still trying to figure out how to love you, Lord, would you just meet them in that place and speak to their heart? For anybody in here who just needs inspired to trust you and to love you and give their life to you, I pray they would do it. You are absolutely good and you are absolutely true. We thank you, Lord. Amen.